If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua Sheets, and today I would like to talk to you about a second housing-related idea that I have changed my mind on. Uh, Previously on Radical Personal Finance, I shared with you how I've changed my mind about the value of a vacation home. Specifically, I have come to appreciate that there are benefits of a vacation home that I didn't understand when I was younger that I now understand more clearly. And I see why many people, especially wealthy people, want to maintain a vacation home. Uh, So, you know, I talked about how the down, I always was focused on the downsides of a vacation home, the hassle of caring for a home and having someone come out and fix the septic system and the, the frustration and the annoyance of having to go to the same place every year when I'd like to go ahead and go to another, a new place this year, et cetera. But how I've come to recognize that actually having a vacation home is a big benefit, right? You can invite your friends, say, come to the lake house this weekend and enjoy more time with your friends or your children have a spot where they can invite their friends to come out for a great weekend on the lake. And by having a bunch of activities for them, then now they feel confident enough to be leaders in a social circle, and that can just be great for their social life and enhance their their friend network and have deeper relationships, uh, et cetera. It's just wonderful. And so I've talked about how I now appreciate things I didn't appreciate. Now, here's a corollary of that that I've also come to appreciate, and that is the topic of simply having multiple homes. Now, those multiple homes could be vacation homes. But in this context, I don't want to restrict them to vacation homes. These these concepts are clearly related. Um, but I want to talk about some things I didn't discuss in the vacation home episode. Similar to how I used to think about vacation homes as a hassle, I also used to think about having multiple homes as a hassle. Most of the time, people who have just multiple homes, they generally tend to be on the wealthier end of the scale. But when I was younger, I didn't understand why a wealthy person would want the multiple homes. Part of it would be, of course, as a smug financial planner, you always read stories about, well, so-and-so went broke when they had six estates around the world. And you think, of course they went broke because they had six estates around the world. And you feel quite smug and self-righteous about it. If they were working with me, I would have told them to be frugal. And of course, they wouldn't have spent all their money that they earned. Uh, (laughs) And there's some truth to that, of course. But I always just thought, like, why would you want to have six homes? Again, why not just go and stay at the Four Seasons? I mean, why not go and stay at a five-star hotel and be in a different place? And after all, you don't have to commit to going to the same place every year. And after all, what's that? Why would you do it? And I've spent time at some pretty cool resort places, right? I'm from Palm Beach, Florida, which is one of the big resort towns. We have a major seasonal population. And I've, 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 
here and there hobnob with the elite of the elite, right? Over at the Everglades Club, having dinner with your friends at the Everglades Club on the island. I'm looking around and I'm thinking, you know, here I am. I'm at the poshest of the clubs, having the the nicest of events. And okay, this is fine, but why is this? Why 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 do this? Why go back and forth like this? Um, why have a home in New York and a home in Palm Beach? After all, isn't that a hassle to set your life up in such a way where you have to go between them? And then what about your friends in each places? And what about your children's appointments and blah, 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 and all the stuff? And so I always thought, what a hassle. I don't want to have multiple homes that I have to supervise. Again, a little anecdote I shared at the beginning of the previous episode where I talked about the rich guy having to go and take care of his home and his whole weekend is ruined fixing up the, ne- the second home. But over the years, I've wrestled a lot with where to live. And this is not something that I expected. Three years ago, four years ago, I did not expect to be wrestling with where to live because I was from one place and I lived a very stable life in that one place and I was happy in that one place and I had a clear vision for the future. And so, of course, that one place was fine. And so I thought, okay, the the, the standard living model plus a vacation is is the right model. And why would you want to have multiple homes? I understand more now than I did back then. And what's interesting is I have found it very difficult to figure out where I want to live in the world. Um, and my wife has found it very difficult to figure out where does Joshua want to live in the world? Because for years of my life, I had a dream. And the dream was very simple. I wanted to be able to make my living from anywhere in the world. It took me 15 years to do it. it. Shouldn't have taken me 15 years, but it did. But once I did it, I thought, this is great. This is wonderful. And then I had to figure out, well, where, where do I live? What do I do? How do I do this? And after all, if I'm going to have the perfect thing, I got to find the perfect thing. I got to find the perfect place to live. And so you go on this intense search and you're like, I'm going to find the perfect place to live. And for me, I realized over time that I was giving up that concept For example, I've talked about this in the international space. One thing that brought me a lot of personal freedom in my thinking in the international space was when I realized, listen, there is no perfect country. The United States of America, it's not the perfect country. England, not the perfect country. Argentina, not the perfect country. Canada, not the perfect country. No country is a perfect country. And it brought me incredible freedom through the concepts of flag theory and uh, PT living when I just thought, like, just use each country for what they're best at. Want to drive really fast? Of course, you can go to a racetrack, but want to drive really fast? Then get a fast car and go drive in Germany, where the Germans consider it their birthright to drive as fast as they want to on the unrestricted aspect parts of the Autobahn. Um, want to go gamble and sleep with prostitutes? Go to Costa Rica, right? Uh, want to go and and hobnob with the poshest of the posh and, and hang out on your yacht? Well, go to Monaco. Uh, go to Dubai, right? Just pick each place and and don't try to make a place what it's not. Want to go and hang out in your beautiful vineyard? Go to Argentina, go to to Chile, go to another place and choose a place that that has what you want. Uh, Want wildly loud individual freedom? Go to the United States of America. Want absolutely enforced, you know, mask mandates and vaccination and everyone go to a country with that. Like whatever the issues are, you can have a lot more peace in your life if you just go to a place where that is, uh, where that's there. And so from the internationalization space, it made sense to me. And so I thought, well, I'll put my money in the place where my money is the is the safest, where they have the best banks. I'll do my investments where they have the best investments. I'll get my citizenship from where I'm the freest and where I'm left alone, blah, blah, blah. 
but what about where to live? Where do I live? And over the years, I've watched, um, I've watched things change for various people. And you start looking at places, and what happens is when you open up the whole world to yourself of where you live, it's a little overwhelming. Because generally, as humans, we live in a place for usually one of three reasons. Reason number one, that's where we were born and that's where we were raised. Sometimes not the same thing, but that's where we're from. When you say, where you're from, I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida, or I'm from Detroit. So a lot of times we just live there. Now, in the United States, this is less common, but most people around the world live in a place simply because that's where they're from. That's that's who they are. They live in that village. They don't travel beyond the, 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 the local area. So that's where they're from. Of course, in the United States, we're much more restless. We tend to move a lot across the country. But of course, most Americans don't consider living outside of the country. But within the country, there's tremendous options available and we, we tend to be move a lot. But this is where I'm from. Second reason is this is where my family is. So frequently you find yourself wanting to move close to family. You find yourself wanting to say, how can I be close to mom and dad? How can I close be close to grandpa? How can I be close to my grandchildren? You know, this is where my girlfriend lives or my boyfriend lives. These are very good and compelling reasons to choose a place to live because the people that are there. Um, my friends, right? This is where my friends are. This is where the people that I click with are. Very good reasons to choose to be in a certain place for the people. In fact, I think this is generally the, the biggest reason. I, I find the more I travel that although I can appreciate certain things about different locations, the thing that I most care about in a place is who the people are. Do, are the people that I love in this place? And the third reason why we move is because this is where my job is, right? I'm living in a little town, little coal town in Pennsylvania. The, all the jobs disappeared. Well, I'm going to go to where I can get a job. And I think that's a fine reason, right? If you need to move for a job, totally fine. But what if you take those things away? What if you're choosing not to live where you're from? What if you're not intentionally choosing to live where your family is? Uh, what if you are not making your money in a specific geographic location? Well, now literally the world is available to you. And I thought, oh, this will be great. You know, after all, I've, I've achieved my goal. I can live anywhere in the world. It's going to be wonderful. And I have found it utterly overwhelming, completely and totally overwhelming. And it's like, it's too much. <laughs> you think about, you know, there are times where it's just too much. Uh, someone is a glutton, right? It shouldn't be It shouldn't be possible for us to have as much rich food available to us as possible. It's why historically many rich kings died of gluttony because just too much. We're not, we're not meant to handle it. And in some cases, it has felt that way with regard to freedom. Well, it's too much. Like, how am I supposed to choose this? And what happens is you can get into this intense analysis. And after all, you've you got to make the best decision. So what's the place that I'm going to live? Where am I going to live where it's the best? And you're managing all these factors. Well, I know these people here. Here's where my family is. Here are the people I love. I really like the, the gun laws in the United States, but I don't like the, the, the cultural arguments with people, or I really like the, the, the cohesive culture in this other place, but I, I can't have so-and-so, or I got to, I mean, I could give silly arguments, but the point is that you look at it, and it's a lot, and it leads to a paralysis of analysis, or at least it, it, it can, and it has in many cases been for me. I go around and around and around, and I'm like, well, well, look, I tell my wife, I'm like, look, this place has this, 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 we can get A, B, C, D, E that we like, but, the, but yeah, but it doesn't have this, these things over here, and, and this and that. And I want to tell you that if you've ever been in that situation, trying to figure out what's the perfect place 
Number one, there is no perfect place. And so you're just going to choose the place that you think is the best, or at least the best for now. But additionally, one of the things you can do is simply say, what if I don't choose one place? What if I choose two places? And the mental freedom that can come with simply saying, I'm going to choose two places or more can be really profound because there are many things that you can like about a place for a certain amount of time, and then you get tired of it. The example that I give is the Florida sunshine. I grew up in Florida. My favorite days growing up were always days that were cold and gray and rainy. And I love those days because they always made me feel cozy. And they're few and far between when you live in South Florida. Now, having grown up in South Florida, I don't appreciate sunshine because that's all it is. If you come from, you know, northern Michigan, all of a sudden now, or Quebec, right? We're in season now in Florida. And so you see all the Quebec license plates and the, the Ontario license plates and on the, and the giant um, influx of snowbirds from Canada come down. You notice them the most. And so like if you're from Quebec, then being able to have sunshine in the winter is phenomenal. But here's the flip side. In Florida, you don't get any of the benefits of a white Christmas. You don't get to enjoy watching the snowfall on Christmas Day. You don't get to enjoy listening to the songs about sleigh bells ring, are you listening? Because there ain't no sleigh bells. And so you, you, you don't ever get that sense of it. Whereas you can get that sense of it in a very different way in a more northerly climb. So what if you have them both? Then you can choose both. What if you have a home in the north and a home in the south? Well, if you're really into having you know, a cold Thanksgiving, maybe even a white Thanksgiving or a, a white Christmas, then you might choose to say, we're going to enjoy staying at our home in the north. We're going to enjoy a white Christmas. And then on New Year's Day, we're going to be on the beach in Florida where it's 70 degrees and sunny because we don't want to go through the cold and dreary gray of January and February, et cetera. Or you might say, you know, I don't, I personally don't have a four season wife. Uh, she doesn't have any interest in becoming a four season woman. And so that annoys me. I'm like, babe, look, we can go skiing. She's like, all right, let's just go skiing. We don't need to live in the frozen North. Let's just go skiing in the frozen North. And so you might have your ski cabin and you go and you spend a couple of months there or a whole month there or whatever it is at your mountain cabin and going to ski slopes, et cetera. But then you retreat back to the sunny South and you go to your place on the beach in Mexico. Now you can expand this beyond to different lifestyles beyond, right? You might enjoy certain aspects of the big city hustle and bustle. I always enjoy traveling to a big city. I enjoy going to New York City at Christmas time and doing all the big city stuff. I enjoy that, but I may not enjoy it every day. And so you might want to have a place out in the middle of nowhere. And the point is that if you open your mind and you say, what two places could we have? That could for you provide a major opportunity, a way to live a better lifestyle. And that's what I now understand that I didn't understand about wealthy people, is that it is very common that wealthy people will have multiple homes. And they do it because they like multiple places and they want to have homes in those places. I don't have anything more profound to say than that. 
It's pretty simple. You think, well, Joshua, you should have recognized that years ago. But I was always so focused on the downsides that I didn't, I hadn't arrived at a place in my life where I appreciated the upsides. But I found this oftentimes with people. If you're struggling with, meaning with consulting clients, and I have been able, using this new experience, I have been able to ask better questions. See, I believe in a win-win lifestyle. This, of course, comes from Robert Covey's habit from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where we talked about win-win or no deal. And for me, it's a very big principle that I, I'm committed to. And his his phrasing of that that I learned when I was a teenager was always go for win-win or no deal. Win-win or no deal. Win-win or no deal. The idea being that if we come to a transaction and we come to an agreement where you feel like you win, but I go away feeling like I lose, that is not an enduring agreement. Meanwhile, if we come to an agreement where you lose and I win, that's also not an enduring agreement. Obviously, a lose-lose is also not an enduring agreement, where both of us feel like we're losing is not an enduring agreement. And so what Covey thought is said is you have to search for win-win arrangements, which means that you need to build, you need to not compromise, but rather build consensus. And so especially in your most intimate relationships, right, your most uh, your business partner says, I want our business to be in such and such a place. Your wife says, I want us to live in such and such a way. I don't want to do that. Um, you have to look and find either a win-win deal where both of you feel like you win, or you have to stay committed to say, no deal, we're going to keep trying. And this is hard. This is hard in many situations. It's not automatic, but you have to keep working at it until you can build consensus. Compromise often leads to hard feelings. Not always. Sometimes you can compromise on things that are just not important to you, right? Frequently, where do you want to go for dinner? Mm, Let's go for Chinese food. I don't want Chinese food. I got Italian food. Okay, I'll compromise. I don't care about, let's go for Italian food. That's fine. Um, But if you don't like Italian food, don't compromise. You need to look for the third deal. How about Brazilian? All right, great. Let's do that. You got to find the third option until you reach consensus where everyone is happy. Compromise often makes people feel feel bad. So when you're looking at where to live, oftentimes compromising and saying, well, I really want to be close to mom and dad. Yeah, but I don't want to live in California, right? Or I really want to live in California. Yeah, but it never gets any snow or versions of that. And so many times the right solution is just simply keep looking for looking for a great third option. But what I want to tell you is when it comes to your housing and where to live, many times I think you are better off if you expand your ideas and you say, well, what two places could satisfy us? Or could we live in both places? And Well, I feel like this is blindingly obvious now. I recognize that it was not always blindingly obvious to me me in the past, and it may not be blindingly obvious to you. So if you're thinking about where to live, what if you gave yourself two places to live or three places to live? That way you could have the best of both worlds. Now, obviously, in order to do this, you either need to you need to not depend on a specific location for your constant income. Uh, the working model where you're expected to show up at an office, the same office or the same job site, uh, 250 days per year, this won't work. But if you generate your income remotely or you live off of your investments, 
this will work. Or if you have some form of seasonal work, this can work and this will work. This does work because now you can say, you know what? I do want my children to have a close relationship with their grandparents. I do really want that. So tell you what, let's go ahead and buy a condo uh, in the same community where uh, you know our parents are, or let's buy a little house down the street, or let's get a bigger house that we can kind of share, but not all the time. So that way we can have that, but I don't want to stay there all year. Let's also have a second place that's very far away, that's very exotic, that has other benefits. And while I could circle the globe, giving you the advantages and disadvantages of different places, I think I'll keep this simpler and just say, ask yourself that question. If you, as I, (laughs) have spent a lot of time doing talking with my wife, right? Honey, what's important to you? Here's what's important to me. And you're putting these things down. And in some cases, my wife and I, like, I can't find the consensus. She values these things. I value these things. How do I solve this? I want her to feel valued and appreciated and have all of the things solved. And I also want to feel like all of the things that are important to me are met. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to just say, um, you know what? I'm just going to give up what I want to go with what you want. I think that's a recipe for bitterness. Similarly, I don't want her to compromise. I don't want to say, well, honey, I don't care what you say. We're just going to do what I want. Because after all, I'm the one that can. Both of these are bad. These are bad. So you're looking for it. But one of the things that we have struggled with is, well, where is that location that has everything? Not one loca- it's, it's unlikely that one location is going to have everything. But what I found very helpful is, okay, what if there were two? What two locations could we do, could we use? Now, don't get scared of this financially. And let me give you a couple of specific financial tips. Let's say that you had two locations. Let's say that you had two places that you were interested in. As I stated in the show on vacation homes, I think we often sell our capacity short. For many people, being able to afford one home is such a challenge that they can't quite wrap their mind around the idea of having two. And then that same mindset can continue even after you are no longer living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, month to month. And yet what's true is that you actually could afford to, especially if you were thoughtful about the kinds of things that you did. So what might you do? Number one, um, you might just simply structure your life in such a way that you could simply have two places. You might do that with a vacation rental. Uh, You might set up an arrangement where every summer you rent the house for three months in the town where your parents are so that you can spend all summer together. Or you might set up an arrangement where we always rent your cabin in January and February so we can go skiing. And so you can do it in the form of a vacation rental. And that can be a perfectly affordable thing uh, as long as there's some wiggle room in your budget. In addition, you can choose two places that are different. You might have a primary place that is expensive and then just simply choose a second place that's not so expensive. Either the rental rates are much more modest or the cost to purchase is much less significant. You might do this in a phased approach. You purchase one house, you pay that house for a period of time, pay your mortgage payment, and then after five years, 
you can go ahead and afford a second place. Or after 15 years, you've paid off your mortgage on the first place and you go ahead and buy the second place. And you just do it intentionally and you go back and forth. You can often do this if you'll be willing to take a different standard of living. So for example, my family is not well suited to condo living. It doesn't it doesn't work for us. I got a bunch of children. They're active. It just would be a nightmare to live in a condo without a big backyard. But vacationing in a condo is fine. And so for a second home, it would be no problem for us to have a condo because during that time, you just simply live a different lifestyle and it's a temporary thing. So you might have a primary property and a secondary property, and they're just different types. You might also choose a more modest living than you would otherwise be able to, to afford. Frequently, as our wealth grows, we'll upgrade our houses to be more lavish and more ostentatious houses. Totally fine. But sometimes that doesn't give a lot more joy. Uh, If you've got seven bedrooms and your family occupies three, having the four extra bedrooms isn't often that big of a deal. But what you might do is you might keep your current three-bedroom house. Instead of upgrading, you might buy a second three-bedroom house in a secondary location that is going to give you a different lifestyle and then go back and forth between them. What's especially interesting about this is if you make it part of the diversity of your life or your children's lives. Many people wouldn't find it all that attractive if you are all that attractive to have two houses close to each other. But if there's a big difference in your houses, uh, you've got a house in New York and a house in Florida, house in Quebec, house in Florida. Big difference seasonally between those opens a lot of things up. Um, you might have a big difference culturally, right? You've got a house in Nicaragua and a house in Florida. It's easy to fly back and forth between Nicaragua, but the cultural differences between these houses are really significant. Uh, there might be cross-continental much farther away. We love to spend the summer in Europe, and we really enjoy that kind of cosmopolitan European thing, but we also really enjoy the American thing. Go ahead, and instead of upgrading from a three-bedroom house to a seven-bedroom house, just grab a three-bedroom house in both places. And now you can start to enjoy those different things uh, to a greater extent. And of course, you can fill in more and more scenarios. This is how I think about Asia. Uh, It's like, I like Asia. but I don't want to live in Asia full time, I don't think, Uh, but I do like it. So how can I just spend part of my year in Asia so that I get more of a sense of of the culture, more of a sense of being there, more of a sense of the excitement without than is possible with a two-week vacation or even a two-week work trip, but without actually committing to 12 months a year, I'm going to live in Asia, I'm going to uproot everyone and go, go there. And so you can move among them. Now, what's interesting, in addition, is if you're thoughtful about the places, this doesn't have to be a major problem, and it can actually be a big advantage. Uh, I've thought a lot about this over the years, uh, particularly within the guise of international planning. Uh, My friend Andrew Henderson, who runs the Nomad Capitalist uh, platform and business, he has coined the term trifecta strategy to describe his approach, which is basically having multiple homes. What has been interesting to me is I've often not been attracted to Andrew's lifestyle. It's often seemed like just too much moving around for me, especially with children. 
the trifecta lifestyles basically okay let's choose three homes so you know andrew has a home in asia he has a home in europe and he has a home in south america uh and a couple other places mixed in and so we just go between our homes this is really fascinating because it can, with careful planning, it can result in a very tax-efficient lifestyle uh, by not being a long-term resident of any of three countries. You may be able, again, a lot of caveats here, but you may be able to spend significant amounts of time in places otherwise thought to be high tax. Uh, the example I use here is, well, what if you spent, you know, you definitely wouldn't want to become uh, a Canadian tax resident because you have high taxes, but you could spend three or four months a year in Canada. Um, you could spend three or four months a year in the United States. You could spend three or four months a year in Mexico, and that could be a great thing to do. I've encouraged many people to do this. Let's say that you're from a country that is relatively Let's say you're from, let's make it clean and simple, right? You're a citizen of St. Kitts and Nevis that doesn't impose taxation on its citizens of any kind. And you have visas to the United States and to Canada, proper visas, which allow you to gain uh, easy access for an extended period, right? You have a B1, B2 visa to the United States, gives you six months access. Uh, so in this situation, you may thoroughly enjoy spending four months in the summer at a beautiful cabin in northern Ontario. Then on the shoulder season, you may love a cosmopolitan, you're going to your cosmopolitan uh, apartment in the middle of Mexico City. And then you may also enjoy keeping an apartment in Miami and spending your winters in Miami. It could be a wonderful lifestyle, but by going between those three countries, you are avoiding your income tax. You're avoiding any them imposing any income tax obligations on you because you're not a long-term resident of those places violating their tax rules. And so you could use the trifecta strategy as a, an elegant way of avoiding uh, any tax obligations, even though you're spending time in places that are traditionally higher tax. And again, you can mix and match anything you want. Uh, you could love spending your summer in the south of France, France is not a tax-friendly place to live, but if you spend three or four months there in the summertime, that's not a problem, especially if you've minimized other ties with the country. Each country requires a careful review of its laws to make sure you're not violating the laws. What I find, but the problem is that I don't think anybody actually is going to, especially any wealthy person, nobody wants to have some government bureaucrat dictate their lifestyle. And if you actually think about designing your lifestyle around tax optimization, that's what you're doing. You're letting a government bureaucrat dictate your lifestyle. It's not that you should ignore it, in my opinion, but the whole point of being rich is that you don't have to let other people dictate your lifestyle. You can live how you live, how you want to live. So I don't think it works for most people, and most people should not do that kind of lifestyle just for tax planning. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, but you shouldn't do it just for tax planning. So what what could you do it though? You could think about the places in terms of a lifestyle. And here's where I think it's really fabulous to consider multiple places and, and ask yourself, are there many places that I could like being? Now, one of the better concepts that Andrew Henderson brings in is he calls it his global citizen sandwich. Kind of an awkward name, but let me describe how he what he uses it for. There can be many places in the world that you like to be but they're not necessarily perfect for everything. And so the example he uses, which I believe is ideal, would be the three countries of Cambodia, Malaysia, and Singapore. If you look at these countries, 
they're all very interesting countries, but they're interesting for different places. And so what Andrew talks about is how can you gain from a high value place such as Singapore without the cost and the frustration of actually living there? And so the, one of the things that he does that I think is a perfect example is I'm going to choose to live in Malaysia. Malaysia is a wonderful value for the money, wonderful place to be. Uh, I'm going to live in Malaysia. I'm going to bank in Singapore, store my money in Singapore, perhaps have some business connections to Singapore. Uh, but it's hard to get a great investment return in Singapore, also possibly hard in Malaysia. But there's Cambodia, which is a frontier market where I really can uh, build a lot of value uh, from, from the Cambodian economy without actually living there. It might not be where I want to live, but I can invest there. And so if you go around the world thinking about this, especially in terms of geographic proximity, you may be able to find your own little corners of the world. And you could say, all right, maybe Malaysia, Singapore, and Cambodia are not for me. But maybe Mexico, Miami, and Nicaragua are for me. I may really enjoy living in Mexico. I'll do my banking and financial management in Miami. And then I'll do my frontier market investing in Nicaragua or Honduras or something like that. Or you can put in any number of these. I really enjoy uh, living in... Uh, I don't need to give you more examples. <sighs> If you think strategically about what you're trying to get and you don't try to put it all, force it all onto one place, I think it can open up options to you. And what I now understand that I didn't used to understand is that wealthy people are usually buying and or establishing multiple homes because they like to spend time in those homes. And... I'm going to skip the whole commentary on how I've also learned that you know, even the nicest hotels and even the nicest Airbnbs and whatnot, it's kind of a hassle. It's nicer to have your own home where it's, everything is just set up how it is. I, I Maybe I'm getting old and, and crotchety, but I, I have crossed that point where it is annoying. I don't enjoy being in, in rented facilities all the time. So uh, consider that. It may provide an option for you. If you're frustrated with where to live, if you're frustrated with where's the one place that my whole family can agree on, um, maybe dial down the intensity and say, what would be the two places that would represent things that we really value? Or maybe even the three places that would represent things that we really value. And then could we build a plan to accomplish those things? And I'm telling you, I think you probably could, especially if you're, if you just simply, if even if you had to, or you chose to moderate your finances, uh, you might have a perfectly reasonable middle-class home in one place uh, and a wonderful little condo in the city or a little apartment in the city and then just a wonderful little beachside villa. And if you were full-time in any one of them, you may want something a little bit more, meaning a little bit more expensive. But for a part-time, it's a wonderful scenario. I hope that provides you with a useful question to ask yourself to open up your opportunities. Thank you so much. Um, remember that at the moment I'm doing personal consulting. You can find details at radicalpersonalfinance.com slash consult. If you would like to work with me to brainstorm and imagine opportunities that fit best with you, if you'd like to do international tax planning, uh, figure out how you can live a tax-efficient lifestyle, maybe use all your tax savings to buy your, your second and your third and your fourth properties, et cetera, uh, we can do that. Uh, go to radicalpersonalfinance.com slash consult. Radicalpersonalfinance.com slash consult. I'll be back with you very soon.